I have exciting news to share. Wamboy Mbechi and her podcast, Farm to Table Podcast Kenya, is joining the Nitty Grits Network. In honor of the occasion, Wamboy and I interviewed each other and we'll each edit the same audio file to produce our own podcasts. Today's podcast is that podcast from me. I am pleased to introduce Wamboy Mbeche to our listeners. It's on tip of the tongue. Welcome to Tip of the Tongue, a podcast on the Nitty Grits Network, where we explore the intersection of food and drink and museums. This is Liz Williams. We're here today with Wamboy Mbechi. She is the host of Farm to Table Podcast Kenya. She explores innovations and solutions for the issues affecting sustainable food systems at the micro and macro level. Welcome, Mum Boy. Thank you. Thanks, thanks, Liz. Thanks for having me. Well, I think we're having each other on our own podcast. I think that's kind of exciting. Yes. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me and thanks for being a guest on my show. <laughs> so I'll get started and then you just jump in as we have our conversation. Can you tell mm-hmm. me how you became interested in food and sustainability and food systems as you were deciding it's time for me to have a podcast? Right. So the podcast is much much later in my journey along with food because I've always been very passionate about agriculture and food systems because from when I was young I had the experience of seeing people who didn't have sufficient food first of all or nutritious food so I I came across these families that didn't have enough food and for me that really it didn't sit right with me since then and I I was about 10 years old when I met these kids and they were my age but they were so much smaller than me you know you could really see a difference between us between the kids that didn't have food and my life so I really came to understand that I was quite privileged and that really it lit a fire within me to find solutions to food systems and of course at the time I didn't understand what the issue was I just thought you know maybe their parents can afford food and mine can but then as I've grown older as I started to go to school and I I studied agriculture I did a bachelor's degree in in agriculture in horticulture and then I went on to do a master's in in botany so through that journey, I really understood that it's more complex than that and that there were so many loopholes and there were so many problems, you know, that needed to be addressed to ensure that all people act- were actually food secure. So, yeah, then with all this knowledge then, with, you know, my education and everything, 
I then decided to start a podcast because I have all this information and I would like to share it. I would like to expand my knowledge. And yeah, so that led to the podcast. So as you're, as you're exploring this and you're interviewing people on your podcast, um, Mm -hmm. how much do you see that is happening in your country as separate from or connected to the world systems Mm -hmm. that affect the whole world? Well, with my country, for example, we have the, the issue of starvation and famine. We do have those issues and we do have also the issues of you know, just food loss because with us it because it's different from you know from developed countries they say it's food waste so you do have you have surplus of food and you're throwing out some but for us it's food loss you know we're, we're losing this food we don't want to lose the food but because our systems are you know flawed we lose the food but i've come to understand that even in different sorry about the noise (laughs) okay (laughs) yeah so I've come to understand that even with different countries they do have the issue of you know food insecure people I just learned recently that even in the states there are people that go hungry go to bed hungry so I think the problems are very connected they are different and therefore the solutions would probably be different but the connections are there I feel there are a lot of connections. Well, I can I can assure you that there are food insecure people in in the United States. It's shameful that a country mm-hmm. that is so wealthy has mm. people who don't have enough food. Um, it's I, I just think it's a terrible embarrassment, and it's something that we should be on top of. We have many mm-hmm. attempts to deal with it food banks and various kinds of programs, but it's so mired in uh, bureaucracy. It's crazy. So I'd like them to ask, what do you think causes the situation? Like in your case, for example, because as you said, you're such a wealthy nation and you you do have quite a large population of middle-class people. So what then can you say is the cause of still having food insecure people? I think we have food insecurity for a number of reasons. Mm -hmm. And I think one of them has to do with this sort of idea we have about self-reliance. And this Mm. is a totally cultural attitude that everyone should be able to take care of themselves. Right. And so that makes people afraid or ashamed to ask for help. Mm-hmm. And so if you lose your job and you don't have enough savings and you have to choose between paying the rent or buying food or paying for medicine or whatever you might need, mm-hmm. sometimes people choose to go hungry rather than ask for help. So that's one problem. And I'm not trying to blame the people who are hungry, but I do Mm -hmm. think that on the other side of that problem, the people Mm -hmm. that you, that, that could do something about it and government often have the attitude, well, 
why didn't they save more money to take care of themselves in this mm -hmm. kind of situation? And we don't have we don't have good distribution systems to help those people who don't have money. And then we have mm -hmm. the working poor. These are people who don't qualify for any of the government assistance programs because they make too much money, but they don't make enough money to really buy wholesome food. So these are people who fall through the cracks. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's a very complicated problem. Part of it is cultural. Part of it is bureaucratic. Part of it is just people not wanting to keep up with the changes as you have inflation, then it begins to affect what you might be able to buy at the grocery store. And of course, now that the pandemic has caused all kinds of other problems and mm. certain supply chain issues, then there are people who would have never been hungry before, right. but who are hungry now. And so they don't even know what to do because they've never had to face uh -huh. the issue before. There, there are lots of things. And so there are, there are charities and the government who try to step up and deal with it, but there's a, a real reluctance to give people food because there's this belief that they'll become dependent and then they won't they won't stop when they don't need the food anymore even though that has been proven, that right. has been proven to be untrue i think there's a lot of belief mm -hmm. that it is true whether it's factual or not do you have any of these issues so for us i think our issues are mostly within the value chain so for example you find that a large population of people are actually farmers you know and smallholder farmers and the unfortunate thing is that these farmers are the same people that don't have enough food so you find someone lives on a large piece of land but they they still can be able to feed their families so those are our issues and then for some people some communities they live in these really dry areas and they are their cultural you know their cultural disposition is towards maybe livestock keeping right and they're pastoralists yes. and so with the droughts that we're currently experiencing due to climate change their livestock are just dying and they are so adamant on holding on to their culture that they don't want to try anything else and so you find that these people are actually you know their food insecure like I remember I recently just had a story of someone who has over let's say over 30 goats and sheep and their children are sleeping hungry because they would rather have this sheep than sell this sheep you know, because oh. the sheep is actually food. Yeah, they would rather not sell them to feed their children. So they're holding on to, I think it's it's a cultural thing. They, they would rather do that than, you know, sell yes. them and actually buy food for their families. And I think culture is the hardest thing to overcome because you can pass mm -hmm. all kinds of laws, but you can't make people think differently then they've been raised to, I mean, you can eventually, but 
you can't just logically have a discussion with them and have people change their attitudes because they are so they're so deep within them and so firmly held. Um, I, I think that that kind of change is is really hard. That's true. That's so true. And and you'd think you'd think that going hungry would change your way of thinking, but. You'd be wrong to think that. <laughs> I know, I know. I think it's amazing. Do you yeah. think? Do you think that the recent election in Kenya might affect the food systems in some way, especially a positive way? The thing about the the Kenyan government is, you know, I think with any government really is the will. You know, do they have the right political will? Because for example, in Kenya, even with the past government, the outgoing government, they did have so many policies, you know, very positive policies and very positive, you know, documents that they, they you know, they sat down and, and they thought that, yeah, these are the strategies that we should take to ensure that, you know, agriculture is taken more seriously and our people are more food secure. But at the end of the day, what translates to act to actual action, like you said with you in America, is bureaucracy I think the bureaucracy takes up a huge part of that so what you see is that there's a lot of you know positive documents you look at the government policies and you're like this is very positive it will definitely affect a change but at the end when you look at the results you know the translation is is very low and so all we can do is really hope but even as the campaigns for the elections are going on agriculture and you know food security was such a huge point you know the, the huge manifesto point was we'll do this for our farmers we'll do this for the food insecure people and if they do actually do those things then I feel like it will have a positive impact I think that's more of a let's wait and see type thing right right yeah well I have to say in in America it's very, very difficult to get politicians to look at food policy at all, um, mm -hmm. unless unless it has to do with big business. So, um, for example, one of the issues that we have has to do with all the the agricultural land that is growing corn, mm -hmm. but corn is not being grown as food corn either for mm -hmm. animals or people. It's being grown to add to gasoline. So mm -hmm. um, that means that people are growing corn to turn into gasoline additives, mm -hmm. but when you could use garbage to do that, and wouldn't right. it be better to use garbage to do that and mm -hmm. use that agricultural land to grow food, um, mm -hmm. but because of special subsidies that were created, it's actually more beneficial for the companies to mm -hmm. grow corn for for gasoline than to grow food. So they, of course, they're a company. They do what affects the bottom line. And so that's what they do. Right. So, and it would take a change in, in the law in order for that uh, benefit to, to big companies to go away. So we have mm -hmm. a big ag has been buying up small farms and they plant monocrops. And I think it affects 
the environment. The environment. Yes, it infects the environment, but in addition, it it affects the, the number of species that are available because people aren't growing the things that are like heirloom varieties of things, and everything is being uh, being manipulated genetically so that. It chips well. Nobody cares whether it tastes good. It's like, mm. oh, will this will this hold better? Will this ship better? Will this ship more? Because everything is more square, you know, mm-hmm. instead of round or whatever. And just think that 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 right. that ability, not the ability, the desire to um, to only mm. look at the bottom line is really misplaced attention. But that's as long as that's what is people are doing in big ag, then I think mm-hmm. we have to find a way to sort of get through that so that uh, the demand, and of course, we're in such a market economy, it's very much supply and demand. We have to work on the demand side so that people stop buying what the big ag people are selling and saying, no, we don't want that. Mm-hmm. We want other thing. And only then will they start to produce it. Yeah. And can I ask then, what are the kind of food policies that, that you know, that exist in the States? Because I feel like the, the systems are quite different between us because with us, it's the majority of the people that produce food are smallholders. So they don't really rely on, you know, large corporations or anything. And for the large corporations, actually, they mostly grow food for export. And so how how the policies then the food policies in, in in the states and how do they really play into this you know food insecurity issue like people being food insecure well i'm going to give you an example that mm-hmm. is so absurd and they aren't all this absurd but one of the ways that the that the country tries to deal with children who are food insecure is to make it possible for children to eat breakfast and lunch mm-hmm. free of charge at school. And for some children, this means that they mm-hmm. get two full meals a day. And then mm-hmm. the egg tries to sell its products to to these schools. And so then the government said, well, we want to have a certain amount of nutritional uh, benefit from this food. It can't just be donuts or something like that. So then they pass all these rules and then um, big ag simply adapts to the rules and they want to make it easy for the school to make more money and maybe even make money on this agricultural food. So they want to sell products that comply with the nutritional requirements, but perhaps don't need to be prepared because they're pre-prepared. And so you don't need to have a staff as big to, to process it and serve it. So you save mm-hmm. money on staff as the school. And a lot of times it's full, it's in order to make this possible and to make it be storage, easy storage and all of that, it's highly processed, it's full of stabilizers and chemicals. And so 
there's that. Plus there's a lot right. of, there are a lot of things that children don't want to eat, even though it's good for mm -hmm. them. Um, and so mm -hmm. you have, you have a lot of waste from that, you know, where mm -hmm. a child gets an apple or some other piece of fresh fruit on their plate mm -hmm. and they mm -hmm. don't eat it and they just throw it away. And so there's a lot of that too. So that's mm -hmm. one, that's one policy, but the policy that I was going to tell you about that was so absurd is mm -hmm. that it says, you know, you have to have two vegetables and you have to have this and you have to have that, say, at your lunch meal. Right. For a while there, they were talking about passing laws that made it possible to consider ketchup a vegetable. Oh. I know it's crazy. And it's so crazy. it's totally crazy. And so mm -hmm. that and that's big ag and, and the big food companies using right. their influence to try to make it something that is, doesn't require fresh things because mm. this way you can just say, well, they put some ketchup on their French fries. That's two vegetables, potatoes <laughs> and ketchup. Right. We could talk about school lunches, but I mean, mm -hmm. I think that it's wonderful that these children are being fed. So mm -hmm. that part is good. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's never, it's never just let's feed the kids. It's how much money can we make out mm -hmm. of the federal program? Right. And, and I, that's something that's very similar to here in Kenya, for example, but it's in our case, it's very unfortunate because these kids don't have food at home. And so when they go to school, so they have these feeding programs and these feeding programs are run by um, county government and not all. It's not even a requirement, but it's it's sort of a, a plus, you know, it's the bare minimum, but it, they do it as a, a selling point for themselves. And so they feed the kids in school. But the good thing is they do give them something nutritious. So maybe they'd give them a, a porridge that contains, you know, the flour is maybe fortified or they give them a plate of food with beans and maize mm -hmm. i mean it's not the best it's not the best tasting food but at least you you know the kids are still able to get their their protein their carbohydrates and their stomachs are full so they can be able to study so it's it's very it's a very it's like it's like a coin with two ugly sides exactly <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, yes, it is. And it is so, it, you know, they just build one more layer of regulation on top of all the regulations that are already mm -hmm. there. And so it mm -hmm. becomes so complicated to wade through it. It really is crazy. And, and it's, you know, because fresh fruit and vegetables mm -hmm. last only a short period of time, mm -hmm. they are the most expensive things. And so if you don't have a lot of money, but you need a certain number of calories to sustain yourself, you're going right. to try to get the most number of calories for your, for your money. And, okay. and so you're not going to be getting fresh fruits and vegetables. First of all, they don't have as many calories, um, mm -hmm. even though they have a lot of other valuable nutrition, like fiber and vitamins and micronutrients and all of that but you're mm -hmm. hungry. So mm -hmm. you're going to get something that is less oh, nutrition, but mm -hmm. less nutritious, but that is 
perhaps higher in calories. So you have a lot of obese people who Mm. are eating many, many calories, but they're still hungry because they aren't getting the nutrition that they need. And that's a separate whole issue. Right. Right. That's a separate whole issue. And one thing that I do admire about Kenya and our African continent is that we have very fresh vegetables and fruits. So for me, I can really, you know, that's that's a positive for us. You know, if you have 10 shillings, which is about um what that's about the math is tricky. But if you if you have 10 shillings, you can get kale and spinach, you know, you can get greens to eat mm-hmm. with your with your food. And so at the very least, people are still able to 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 consume nutritious food because there is it's highly accessible. You can easily grow and and the people, especially in rural areas, they grow these foods in their in their gardens. So you know you have fresh kale, you have fresh spinach, you have fresh potatoes. You know, mm-hmm. so you don't really have to rely so much on on unhealthy foods. So so that so that it's seen as if a burger and fries are actually a luxury to a lot of people which I feel like that's not the worst case you know it could be worse yes (laughs) yes yes well I visited Guinea in 2006 I guess it was and Mm -hmm. would stop at the market and I ate the best bananas I have ever eaten in my life uh, the mm-hmm. most wonderful avocados. So I agree with you. The fruits and vegetables on the continent are just really wonderful. And I'm sure that they are varieties that have not been manipulated as much as the varieties of things that we have. Um, mm-hmm. One one of the foods that I find disappointing in, in America are mangoes, for example. Mm-hmm. And that's because everybody grows the same kind of mangoes and there are like mm-hmm. 50 varieties of mangoes, but we have maybe two that are grown in the U.S. for commercial reasons. And they're chosen not because they're the best tasting mangoes or because they're the best, the most nutritious mangoes. They are chosen mm-hmm. because they are easy to grow they don't right. have a lot of pests, which are all good mm. qualities. You want things to be easy to grow and not have a lot of pests, but mm. they also are not the best tasting mangoes. And so it's really disappointing because I, that's the, one of the things that I'm the most worried about is that we will manipulate ourselves out of food actually tasting good. And then you wind up having to put sugar or salt or all kinds of things on something that should be eaten raw by itself Mm -hmm. because it's so good. It's very disappointing. Right. I had the same experience during my time in China where I used to love chicken because in Kenya, for example, yes, there are the commercially grown breeds of chicken and they're not as tasty as the farm free range ones mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so when I went to China I ate chicken every day but I really didn't enjoy it so much so that now I can't I still can't enjoy chicken as much because they're growing it to be they're more about quantities so 
their, their bottom line is quantities. They need enough quantities to feed their people. But then the taste is just falls by the wayside then. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. at least if they're, if they're doing it to feed people as opposed to mm. where we are, money. they're doing yeah. it for money, which is a totally yeah. different motivation. Um, right. Um, you know, I can almost say, okay, you can sacrifice taste because you need to feed all these people. But if you sacrifice mm-hmm. taste because you're trying to make more money, then I say, no, <laughs> you're wrong. Yeah, that's horrible. Mm. <laughs> Agreed. Well, we have yeah. reached the end of our time. Let me ask you if there's any other thing that you want to talk about before we kind of sign off. So with everything that you've, I've been looking through your podcast and you have, I mean, your guest list is what I want mine to be like when it grows up. <laughs> so what are some few things that you'd say, you'd say that are lacking within the governance space like the food governance what would you say are like two or three things that would move the the space forward the food systems forward well first of all i think there needs to be someone in our department of agriculture within food and drug administration where Mm -hmm. they actually worry about food systems and Mm -hmm. feeding people and not about money because I think that's number one and there Mm -hmm. really isn't there is a whole department of agriculture but it is really not geared to making people healthy and making Mm -hmm. sure that everyone has enough to eat it is geared Mm -hmm. toward making sure that big ag has what it needs that and, you know, there, there are certain conser- concerns for reserve grain and things like that. So I don't want to be too negative about their worry about the future, but they basically are about business, agricultural business, and not mm-hmm. necessarily about people's health. That's one yeah, thing. Yeah, and it, and it is a billion dollar industry there's a lot of money to be made that's right that's right Mm -hmm. there is a ton of money to be made so Mm -hmm. i would really like to see the president uh, talk about sustainability and environment of Mm -hmm. the entire world um Mm -hmm. and and do something about it so that not only in the U.S., but certainly in, I, I know that that the, that the U.N. worries about hungry people, but mm-hmm. their worry is also primarily about solving the immediate problem. So it's an aid issue as opposed to right. a, finding a solution Systemic. issue. Yeah. Mm. And so, I, I mean, I can't fault them for that because there's a need for aid. So I'm not I'm not saying right. that, that should be just forgotten, but I think mm-hmm. it needs to be expanded so that there can be a way to have a global solution. And I would like to see the U.S. very active in making that happen. Um, mm-hmm. But I think I'm going to hold my breath for a very long time <laughs> before that happens. Right. So that's the, those are two things that I think are are imp- really important 
and I would very much like to see happen. Right, right. Those, those are really good. Those are really good ones. <laughs> well, I want to thank you so much for this conversation. I want to let everybody know that Farm to Table Podcast Kenya is going to be part of the Nitty Grits Network, which is part of the Southern Food and Beverage Museum. And I am very excited. The newsletter this week is going to make that announcement. So it's really exciting to have us break into the international scene with you, one boy. Thank you so much. And I'm really looking forward to become a part of the network. You know, I think the best way to move forward is to really expand the conversation. And as more people I can reach, that would be good. Yes. And yeah. And also I'm so, my takeaway from this conversation is really that our problems may seem different, but they're not. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. 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 We have, we have, we have two sides. We're on two sides of the same coin. And, you know, I hope that we can be able to, you know, find solutions somehow. I always say my goal is to find solutions. (laughs) Well, thanks again. Thanks so much, Liz, for being a part of this as well. Thanks for listening to Tip of the Tongue part of the Nitty Grits Network of the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans. Learn more and subscribe to this and other podcasts at southernfood.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. Find us on Facebook on Nitty Grits Podcasts. I'm Liz Williams. Thanks for listening.